When I was a freshman in college seminary, I was told that I would be jumping up a year. I'd move from freshman to junior year due to a large amount of college credit that I had accumulated in high school. And there were many benefits to this. First of all, one less year of tuition, one less year of having to be in the seminary and in academia, and I would get ordained a year early. And the benefits to this have been very tangible. My parents are quite happy to have paid one less year of tuition. And I could tell you that after this school year, I will definitely be ready to be out of the seminary and out of academia. However, the one downside to this is that because I got ordained this past spring rather than next year, I've known since 2010 that I would be beginning my ministry of preaching in the church right in the middle of an election year. And frankly, I've been in denial about this for a very long time. I kept telling myself, oh, November is a long way away. Things can change. Well, November is no longer a long way away. We're in it. And 72 hours from now, we will have an election. So, what is our responsibility as Catholics in an election year? First of all, we have to vote. The Catechism reminds us that it is our obligation to do so. Our voices need to be heard, and we should participate in the democratic process. Sitting, sitting out is not an option. Next, when we vote, we vote as Catholics first. Not party A first, Catholic second, or party B first, Catholic second. No, Catholic first, everything else second. If we are more attached to a candidate or a party than our Catholic faith, then we're already off on the wrong foot. And it's because of this that the church focuses on issues, not candidates and not parties. So the question then becomes, which are the most important issues for us as Catholics? Which are the most essential? Which are the most fundamental? Well, to illustrate this, I'm going to use a bit of a metaphor here. So hang tight. Our nation is like a house. It's not a bad house, but it needs some repair work. It's got some issues. It's a bit of a fixer-upper, if you ask me. It's got some noisy pipes, some spotty Wi-Fi, a gas leak, and a cracked foundation. Now, you're all homeowners here. You know which of those issues you need to fix first. It's the gas leak. That gas leak is a matter of life and death. If you don't fix the gas leak, you're not going to have a house here pretty soon. And we have a raging gas leak in the house that is our nation. And that is the culture of death and the many offenses against human life, most notably abortion, euthanasia, and embryonic stem cell research. And make no mistake about it, this is the most pressing issue facing our country. There is no greater threat to the lives, health, and well-being of the people that make up our country than the culture of death. Now, your plumber or your cable guy, back to the house here, might say, listen, you are way too obsessed with gas leaks. You are way too obsessed with gas leaks. Spotty Wi-Fi is just as important as that gas leak. Now again, you're all homeowners here. You know that is a bunch of malarkey. Spotty Wi-Fi is a matter of comfort and convenience, but that gas leak is a matter of life and death. No other issue in that house equates with that gas leak. The same here in the election. Sometimes issues like the economy or the environment might be calling our name and might seem very important, but they never truly equate 
with the gas leak that is the culture of death. And we cannot tolerate this culture of death in our nation, brothers and sisters. No exceptions. No exceptions. We don't have repairmen going around saying, I am in favor of safe, legal, and rare gas leaks. Or my personal favorite, I'm Catholic and personally opposed to gas leaks, but I'll fight for your right to have a gas leak. No. How about no gas leaks? How about no offenses against human life? None. Ever. We have that, that culture of death is that gas leak in that house that is our country. And just as we would want to address that gas leak before anything else in the house, we must promote life before anything else in our country. After we fix that gas leak, we could look on to maybe some of those other issues, and we'd probably look at that foundation next. Just as that house could explode due to the gas leak, it could kind of just as easily collapse due to a bad foundation. And that foundation is a metaphor for the family. And we know there are a lot of issues facing the family today, the definition of marriage and policies pertaining to family life. When the family, that foundation of society, is cracked, society's not on a good foundation, and it could very easily crumble. So that foundation is an important issue, but again, it never fully equates to the gas leak. After we'd address the gas leak and then the foundation, we could look at maybe the pipes and the Wi-Fi. And for us, that might be issues of our welfare, like immigration, the economy, social security, and the environment. But if, as a homeowner, we decide to fix the Wi-Fi before the gas leak, we're responsible for what might happen next. Same here. If we vote for candidates who are allowing and promoting abortion, even if it's for some other reason, our souls are, in a sense, responsible for the deaths of over 700,000 boys and girls in the womb each year. And so we apply these principles up and down the ballot. You know, it's very easy to distill this entire election as one race between two people for the highest office in the land. But we're electing more than just our president on Tuesday. We're electing a president, senator, congressman, governor, lieutenant governor, all the way down to our local judges. And here in our Cottleville precinct alone, there are 14 different races and 45 people seeking elected office. So we have to apply this up and down the ballot, not just on one race, but all of them. However, taking a bit of a step back here and just kind of reflecting on this whole election cycle, it's made me very disappointed and very discouraged in our nation. And I think it should frankly make all of us quiver with fear, get down on our knees, and cry out to God, Lord, have mercy on our country. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, because you're all at Mass on a Saturday evening, and there are a million other places you could be besides here, if you chose to come here. But we cannot deny that as a nation, as a nation, we have become selfish, godless, greedy, dishonest, and morally corrupt. And because of this, no matter who wins on Tuesday, we're getting the leaders that we deserve. We brought this upon ourselves, brothers and sisters. We've trashed that house and are very ironically deciding which one of ourselves is the one best suited to fix it when we were the ones who trashed it in the first place and are dead set on doing it again. If we think that a human being can fix the problems of our age, we are naive. And if we think the answer to the world's problems is another ideology, we're going to wind up very disappointed. There will not be tranquility in our country 
until there is first tranquility in our own souls. And we won't have virtue in our country until we start acting virtuous ourselves. And if we put our faith in a human being to save us, brothers and sisters, we're not just foolish, we are committing idolatry. Because after all, even a good Caesar is still only a Caesar. Our hope then should be in Christ the King. Not candidate A, not candidate B, but in Christ the Lord. Because it is only through Him and Him alone that we could ever call ourselves a great nation in the first place. And this election has been a reminder to me that we need Him more than ever. Christ must reign in our minds, in our hearts, in our wills, in our bodies, and in our souls. Every part of us should be governed and ruled by Christ. We are citizens of His kingdom first, before we're even Americans. And we should care more about the state of our souls than the state of our union, because our souls are worth more than our votes. I'll end with this. It's a story of one of my favorite saints, St. Thomas More. He was a statesman who rose to become Chancellor of England. It was a position just below that of the king. He was a devout Catholic, a family man, and a very virtuous politician. However, he was faced with a dilemma in his professional life. His boss, King Henry VIII, wanted him to sign off on his divorce from Catherine of Aragon. But for Thomas More, his Catholic faith was more important than political power and prestige. And when push came to shove, he refused to bend. And as a result, he was sentenced to death by beheading. However, at his execution, when he was given the opportunity to speak to the many dozens of onlookers who came to witness the death of this once proud politician, he spoke the following words. I beg you, pray for the king. Tell him, I die his good servant, but God's first. I die the king's good servant, but God's first. We need St. Thomas More's example in our nation more than ever. And boy, do I wish he was on the ballot on Tuesday. I'd vote for him, but he's not. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray for those who are running for office, that they can be virtuous and lead us by example. We need to pray also for our country, that we can turn away from sin and open our hearts to Christ. And finally, we need to pray also for ourselves, that we can remember that while we are loyal citizens of our great nation, we are citizens of God's kingdom first, and no election will ever change that.